Hey friends, Happy New Year. Before we get started on this new season of The Voyagers, I'm happy to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Maui Dream Properties and our good friend Jonathan Yudis, realtor and real estate advisor, one of the most trusted real estate experts on the island of Maui. If you're looking to relocate to the island or have been dreaming of owning your own slice of paradise, Jonathan loves to help make people's real estate dreams come true. Whether buying, selling, or investing, his mission is to serve his clients with passion, enthusiasm, integrity, and excellence. We've gotten to know Jonathan over the last few years, and you will not find a more caring and trustworthy realtor than him. If you're even curious about your potential life on one of the most beautiful islands in the world, check out MauiDreamProperties.com and drop Jonathan a hello and get started on making your dream a reality. Now let's get to it. I'm David Glenn Taylor. Welcome to 2021. This is the Voyagers Podcast. I'm curious, how much time did you spend during this past year dreaming that you could be somewhere else? Did your mind wander off to a happy place more than once? Perhaps a mountain meadow or a warm tropical beach? For my wife and I, that place was the streets of Rome. She follows this wonderful account on Instagram by author and chef Elizabeth Mancilli, who has these Italian cookbooks and has become a master of the Instagram story. She does this daily walk through Italian towns, and Maria began announcing every morning after coffee, how about a walk through Rome? And we'd settle in and let her take us to little coffee shops and gelateria, or find the perfect place for olive oil or a flawless artichoke. In the U.S., these things are usually all in one spot, but in Rome, shopping for your groceries is a walk through history, and each shop boasts an expertise that your local Safeway can only dream of. So we escaped every day, and it was lovely. But through the pandemic, that became, for me at least, a bit of a torture. Because after a while, that picture of fresh mozzarella didn't really satisfy. I wanted that mozzarella in my mouth. I wanted to taste that coffee. I wanted to experience that pasta. I wanted to hear the church bells in Rome firsthand through my ears and not filtered through a speaker. But that was 2020, and though we are still dealing with the pandemic in a big way, we can now begin to see the end. It's coming. There's a lot of predictions out there that travel will rebound by third quarter this year. So for me, this first episode of season two, I wanted to sit with a friend in one of Hawaii's top travel minds and dream a bit. Dream of faraway places that are waiting to be explored. Mike Cusperson is the Managing Director of Destination Residences Hawaii, a resort management company specializing in exclusive vacation residences on Maui for more than 30 years. He spent his career living and managing a resort life, and though he and his family have settled here on Maui, their travel dreams are still top of mind. I wanted our conversation to be up to date, so Mike and I talked just a few days ago. We sat in his basement and we sipped some good whiskey. Mike Dish, some travel wisdom that I am very, very happy to share with all of you now. Hey, 
everybody has something interesting to say, and there's fascinating people everywhere, but I found that Maui has such an odd concentration of ridiculously interesting people, you know what I mean? Uh, it is. It's, and, and Well, you've traveled all over the world. Have, do you find, I mean, have you found that elsewhere as well? Or do you look yeah. at Maui and go, yeah, Maui is actually unusual that way? I think in, in most of the places I've been, I think that's been repeated. Oh, really? There's this aggregation of incredibly interesting backgrounds and incredibly interesting souls and stories in some of these locations. And, and, and I say that because of the destination itself, mm-hmm. right. that people are choosing that location right. to go live. Right, sure, sure. That makes sense. Pull the lifestyle, mm-hmm. whatever it may be, the weather, um, you know, the, it actually, I mean, you think about Aspen, which was home for so long. Um, Aspen was founded on this this idea of Aspen that it was this aggregation of right. diverse backgrounds and amazing minds coming together in this place that wasn't Chicago, it wasn't New York, it wasn't Denver, it wasn't right. LA, it was this place that they could all come together from all over the world and express and share their ideas. And the Aspen idea was born, you know, right. this early 60s with Pepke and, and yeah. really founding of Aspen. Right. And that's grown into now the Aspen Ideas Fest. And it's grown right. into so much, you know. And so many Aspen copycats. Right. Right, right. right. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a real thing now, right? Yeah. But then you find that in these unique locations, I think, that are like a Maui or an Aspen or a Telluride was just a similar small version mm-hmm. of Aspen mm-hmm. where this cultural base is so diverse and you have the guy the family the husband the wife whoever that are coming for you know maybe three months or six months but you have other people who have dedicated their lives to being there or that's where they that's where their respite is right that they get away to um and and they all everybody comes to be equal in the place and and equal in the place that's really unique because i've lived in you know cities and small towns Maui's the first place that I've been to where you meet a celebrity or a millionaire or a super successful CEO or you meet all these people and they're wearing board shorts and a t-shirt and it, 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 this is what read the equalization of that. Whether it's, you know, fantastical or not, you know, and true or not, at its mm-hmm. core, there's a certain amount of that that de- definitely happens, you know? Yeah. Because you, you take that same person and you're back in New York City or whatever, he's wearing a $3,000 suit and you're, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm still wearing right. the same board shorts. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? Like, we're, we're the same wherever we go. And, uh, but yeah, somebody else is living their other life and yeah. they come there to be different it yeah. was uh you know i think one of the first places that at, that ever really hit me hard was when we lived in telluride right. and you know oprah had a home there right and it wasn't uncommon to see oprah on the street right like sure. it, there and, and oprah wasn't there and dressed up right, right. And, and oprah may be the extreme example but daryl hannah perfect example as well right. um you know uh, tom cruise my wife gave tom cruise Ski lessons, right? <laughs> okay. And, but everybody was there for the joy and the love sure. of the place. Yeah. And that's what mattered more than any class or economic regime that you came from or strata sure. or your background. Everybody's equal yeah. in these amazing locations, much less so when you get to the cities and, and the urban world. And, you yeah. know, I think that's probably why Definitely. I've always gravitated towards a resort life right. um, is that it does, it strips everybody down yeah. pretty quickly. Well, let, let's talk about that. your resort life. You've lived all over the world. And I know you and I have talked about this many times. But it's Florida, Colorado, Italy, Kauai, Maui. Where, anywhere else that I'm missing? Yeah, a couple places, yeah, amazingly where, enough. Where, yeah, <laughs> so, I was, like, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm guaranteed I'll go, oh, yeah, you told me that. Yeah, yeah. So born and raised in Seattle like you, right? right? Yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, had to shake off the webbed feet after a while. Right. But, 
Um, I, you know, during college, I moved to, I lived in Glacier Park, Montana for a while. Oh, wow. I moved as a ski bum to Alta, Utah for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, I lived in New Mexico for a while while I was in college. We're in New Mexico. So, uh, between Los Alamos and Taos. Oh, that's right. Yep. That's right, right, right. Yeah, so I had family in Los Alamos yeah. and yeah. I spent that's a lot of time there growing up country, and that, yeah. was a, that was really a second home for me. But all of those things during college kind of, I didn't realize it at the time, but it was it was like the building blocks for what I was creating as, as sort of the fence around my life or the parameters yeah. for how I wanted to live my life yeah. in the future that, you know, I met these people at, in all these locations that had traveled and lived all over the world, mm -hmm. right? And this happened to be their stop at that point. And, you know, I remember leaving Glacier Park for the summer and a big group of my friends was moving to Breckenridge to go for the winter, yeah. but they were going to spend the fall in South America. And I was like, I want that. Yeah. I want what those guys have. That that sounds fantastic. And, you know, it was really at that stage that, that I realized I wanted to live 52 weeks a year where other people are just trying to vacation yeah. for two weeks a year. Yeah. Right. Um, and you pretty much have. I mean, Miami is a big city, mm -hmm. but that but it's still you were in the kind of the vacation east side of that, right? Yeah, we were in South Beach and right, right. in the heart of it. Right. Yeah. Um, so being in, in South Beach was a little bit different. I mean, even going that's over a big the, city. Even going over the causeway to right. Miami felt like you were yeah. going to the big city. Yeah. Um, yeah we yeah. spent a ton of time down in the Keys. We had some sure. very dear friends who lived in Key West. So we used to uh, spend a lot of time getting away. But Miami Beach is a unique and a South Beach, especially right. destination unto itself. So you kind of have that microcosm there, yeah. that, that absolute melting pot of, of vacation destination, yeah. if you will. Right. Um, so yeah, those were during college. And then, you know, I think the other place that you missed in there was uh, spent some time in Lake Tahoe, actually after Miami. Right, um, right, right, right. Miami was the first year since I was in fourth grade that I didn't ski that summer. <laughs> and it was so, or that winter, and it was so painful. Oh, um, and uh, we left Miami and, and spent some time in about six or eight weeks in Costa Rica. And then we drove across the country to Lake Tahoe. Jeez. This was right after 9-11. Yeah, and, and you say we, you're talking about Janine. Janine and yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. And we showed up in, in Lake Tahoe with, with about $2 to our name and no jobs, <laughs> and it happened to be three months after 9-11, and nobody was hiring. And we said, you know what? We're going to stick this out and figure it out. And uh, it, it all worked out a couple months later. Yeah. Um, you know, it all everything came back to life, and, and the stars aligned. But, uh, Jeez, man. Yeah. But you're not a big city guy. You know, I moved, We Marie and I moved away from the big city and, you know, we moved it from Seattle to Anchorage, Alaska in 1999. Anchorage is, quote unquote, a big city, but it's a small town. Right. You know, 350,000 people or whatever. And then, you know, we've done small towns ever since. And Maui's definitely a small town, you know, a small island. Mm -hmm. Could you ever see yourself? I mean, honestly, like, could you see yourself living in a Seattle or a San Francisco or, you know, I know Janine's from San Francisco. You know, she grew up in the city, right? Right. I mean, could you see yourself living there? Or is that something that you just go, no, I'm not? It's, it's something that I, I put away a long time ago. I never really saw myself staying in the city. And right. like I said, being in, in college and taking trimesters off mm -hmm. and moving, you know, moving away on my own as well at that point, it really taught me a lot. And it, it fortified, I think, this, this desire to ensure that my life was built around my lifestyle first and not right. around my job first. And right. A lot of tremendous friends who are still in the city, in Seattle, and have been there ever since we graduated, right? right. And and have amazing, wonderful families. They bought houses. They've been anchored there, and they've always looked at me and said, "How the hell do you move around so much? I don't get <laughs> yeah. it." Yeah. yeah. 
And we've always said, you just do it. Yeah. You know, you just make it happen. So no, I don't, I don't think I could see myself back in the city. I think San Francisco may be the closest city to, right. to what I would want to be a part of the proximity of the mountains, the ability right. to escape that city sure. into the Marin headlands, um, yeah. is phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, the ability to be on the water there is tremendous. So that's kind of a unique situation, but I think it would take a heck of a lot to get me to actually so, relocate. But that, but that leads to the question of like, I know that. Uh, you know, Marie and I have had a similar kind of life in terms of we've moved around a lot and stuff like that. Where do you do you feel home? And do you ever kind of have that, you know, or do you have those kind of times where you're like, yeah, I don't feel rooted anywhere. Do you ever have that experience? You know, we left Seattle, left the University of Washington and yeah. packed up the Subaru station wagon and moved to Telluride. And we spent two years in Telluride. They were absolutely tremendous. Yeah. And being in a location like that, you again, you get exposed to so many different mm-hmm. people. And, mm-hmm. you know, General Schwarzkopf was the first person to walk my dog besides, <laughs> you know, Janine and I, right? Like, what? he would babysit our dog while... General we were... Norman Schwarzkopf? Yes. So he lived right up the street from the hotel I was working at. How do you um, end up walking your dog? Though? And so he would come in all the time. And he hung out in the bar. He'd get coffee with us every morning. Amazing gentleman. Just, uh, you know, you're just kind of in awe. Storm and Norman. Him. Storm and Norman, exactly. Oh, my God. And uh, we, so we, we bought our first golden puppy together, and we both worked at the same time. So we'd bring the dog to work with us, and it would sit in the crate in the back of my Jeep, and we would go out and walk, and we'd take turns. And I brought him up to the lobby one time, and <laughs> Fisher got to meet Norman and I'm trying to imagine. Uh, and he said, he said, what is that dog doing? You know, let me take care of him for a little bit. And so he took him on the gondola ride from Mountain Village down to town and tell your ride and walked him around and brought him back in the afternoon. And no so, kidding. yeah, the dog had the VIP treatment. But. So they're like the leader of the United States Armed Forces walking into ice. So that's a great image. It's hilarious. I love it. I love it. And just, you know, again, an absolute gentleman. And, and I remember telling Janine, she was like, Somebody took the dog? I said, yeah. But if you're going to give our brand new puppy to somebody to take care of, that guy. <laughs> General Shortstop's a pretty good place he's to the start, right? Guy. right? <laughs> no, I can think of anybody wanted to walk my dog. Right, right. I think he's going to be okay. I'm not worried about it. When we left Colorado, we moved to, we moved back to Seattle for a brief bit, and then we moved to South Beach, Miami. And we always knew we were kind of a fish out of water in South sure. Beach. That was a, just a fun adventure. It was the right time in our lives. And yeah. we were looking to move out of the cold and move somewhere fun and, and warm and go to the beach. And I had a great job opportunity with some people that I worked with previously. And then we left from there and moved back to Lake Tahoe. And I think it was the time when we moved back to Lake Tahoe that we realized we felt this yearning for Colorado. Mm-hmm. We felt that what you were referring mm-hmm. to that mm-hmm. sense of home that grounding yeah and we appreciated being in Lake Tahoe but it didn't provide the same right. connection of the unique old mining towns of yeah. Colorado right. that have before they were ski resorts mm-hmm. they were incredible towns and they were very wealthy towns they were very uh, industrious little towns but they were at the remote edge of the earth right. and you didn't have a situation where people came up for the weekend and then left you had a situation where when you went to tell your ride like you meant to get to tell your ride right mm-hmm. that's a very purposeful mm-hmm. adventure so we found ourselves really wanting to get back to Colorado we moved to Aspen at that point and that was home 
Now I was home for 14 years. Wow. Um, the longest I've lived anywhere besides my wow. parents' house. You lived in Aspen for 14 years? Yeah. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. I know I, we've talked about Aspen. I didn't know you guys were there that long. Yeah, we were there for a long time. And that's where you know we were in Aspen when we moved to Italy and then mm-hmm. moved back. So again, right. that, was the, that was the home base. Uh, lived in Aspen for a while, then moved to, to Carbondale, Colorado, sure. which is just down Valley from there. And, and the, the coolest, funkiest town ever. Yeah. And, and Carbondale stole our hearts. And Aspen was uh, huh. all the exposure to everything you can want. The Aspen Santa Fe Ballet, the Ideas Fest, the right. international ski events, the Winter National that would happen there. It's just yeah. a, it's an unreal place to yeah. live and enjoy everything about the mountains in the summer and the yeah. winter. So. That was home. That was really our first sense as a couple, mm-hmm. creating our worlds together mm-hmm. that we found a foundation. Right. Or created a foundation. And so do you feel the ache? I mean, is, when you ache, do you, do you get the aches for Aspen? So the interesting thing is that when we moved out here, we moved to Maui on a temporary project. And we knew it was six to eight months we were going to be out here. So uh, we actually you know, shut up our house and dogs went to my parents' house and we flew out here. And about a month into being out here with the whole family, I definitively remember sitting around the table and we were up at the property that's now Montage Kapalua. And we're sitting around the din- dinner table and I remember everybody almost in unison and I don't remember what caused this or triggered it almost everybody my daughters are four and six right Mm -hmm. at the time and my wife and we all said this feels like home and there was a real connection and I think we were very blessed with the people we encountered up there we were welcomed to Maui and Hawaii in a super unique way just with all the the graciousness of aloha and the appreciation for the tradition yeah. of Hawaii yeah. and the culture of Hawaii and we just found a groove and, and interestingly enough we moved back to Colorado after this temporary job was up and we literally went back and sold everything we, no we sold the house we sold a lot we were after building a house years, on <laughs> we, we dropped everything and wow. our sole goal was to get back to Hawaii we don't look at Hawaii as a displacement of Colorado as mm-hmm. home we look at it as another home that mm-hmm. we have mm-hmm. and they're very similar and, and People, you know, what, 10,000 feet in the mountains or down at sea level, right? They're very different, but they're very similar in the people that they attract, mm-hmm. the outdoor lifestyle that you lead, mm-hmm. the activities, the adventure, the energy of the place mm-hmm. is so similar to being right. in Colorado. Right. So it wasn't a stretch sure. for this yeah. to become home. So yeah. if I had to answer today, Maui's home, <laughs> Hawaii's home. been working and running high-end kind of thing very posh kind of stuff I know that the club in Italy was been on the high end right you're in Tuscany mm-hmm. what do you like about the type of work and what is the drawback you know Italy is probably the most exciting example to talk from from that because it's the absolute extreme mm-hmm. right what was extreme about it Castello di Casale in, in Tuscany is one of those magical places and I always used to say that you can look at the photography of the space, the countryside, and fall in love. And then when you get there, it's one of the few places in the world where the photography actually doesn't do justice to the place that you're at. 
right? Tuscany at large. Right? At large, yeah, yeah in yeah, general. The, yeah. the, the light is impossible to capture. Yes. The specialness of the light and the yeah. way that it filters and the way that the rolling hills glow and, mm-hmm. and move is so dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely incredible. So being out there was just tremendous, but we were out there. Right, we lived. We lived in a town where I think one other person spoke English, and it was a Canadian woman who married into a family who owned a tobacco shop in Colle right. di Valdelsa, and she moved back. and I think she even said, "I didn't realize what I was getting into when I moved back here." But <laughs> she adopted us when we moved there. It was amazing, and and we had a two year old and a four year old at the time, or not? No, we had a, a two and a half year old and a newborn. Take that back. Right. But being out in the countryside in this private club at the time that I was there all the only the private club was open uh, right. it, it is now the the grand manor of the estate has opened as the Castello di Casale hotel which is currently run by Belmont the thing I love about that environment and generally speaking the boutique hospitality hotel environment is the intimacy and the personalization mm-hmm. of the connections you can make it's all about delivering an authentic experience that is meaningful and long-lasting. Right. Um, the, the private club experience or the real estate ownership experience, which is you know another big part of my career, that component of you have guests that don't come for three days and leave. You have guests that come back for months right, right. or weeks sure. and they do that for years. Right. And the challenge in that environment is how do you make that just as magical right. on your 15th? Is that really the challenge? Absolutely. And that's what you like. So that's the kind of thing that's consuming you and your staff. Like how to do that. How Can do you, you give continue me an example? to bring this to life? Yeah. So the beauty of it and one of the amazing things is you would learn just as much mm-hmm. from your owners and your guests who are coming to these locations as they would learn from you because they'd been coming there for 10, 15, 20 years before you. So they had stories, they had yeah, yeah. they had recollections, they had places that they had been all over and then they zeroed in on, say, Castello di Casale as, a, as an example. This was going to be their home where they were going to invest for the long term. Sure. Now, what that person is looking for, they're, they're not looking for the animation of a hotel. They're not looking for who has the newest cake pops in the lobby or, you know, and I, and I don't mean to play that down. No, but no, no. Cake pops it's, are great. It's a tremendous experience within a hotel environment yeah. um, that you have to continually invent and, and be very progressive within right. a hotel environment. You have to keep your amenities up. It's a very competitive environment. But in a private club, those people didn't come there to be entertained. They right. don't need to be entertained. They need a conduit to a culture and a lifestyle and a special connection to a place. You know, one of the things we had on that property was uh, a winery. Um, so we had a... We, owned had by a, the club. Owned by the club. Oh, right? wow. And uh, we had, if I recall right, 180 acres of vineyards on the property. And they're all spread throughout. We also had our own olive oil that we made and, and olive <laughs> trees. And so it was a very experiential property where... All of the properties were, in fact, sharecroppers' homes. So they were all surrounded by these farming types of environments. Mm -hmm. And the ability for an owner to come and engage in those activities was brilliant. Like go make olive oil. Yeah. Or make wine and come back three years later and and have it, you know, coming through its process. Um, Be able to sit in with the winemaker. Right. And and literally tasting right out of the cask prior to 
blending anything together and being a part of that experience that's that's a tremendous experience for anybody to do but for them to have that connection and then come back and literally see that bottled and then that ends up on their table and that ends up back in their homes in the united states or in the uk or wherever they were from that that was a tremendous opportunity we had these amazing governante who were they were like the caretakers of the homes Mm -hmm. right they were like the mistresses of the house and they would cook the most amazing meals and so every time you had a meal with them, it was something you couldn't pay for at a restaurant. Right. You'll never get that. Right. This is as as good as being invited into somebody's home and they're bringing it to you, you know, right. and they're cooking in your home for you. And, or you'd have the surprise if you'd go out for the day and they would have cooked and left something baking and you'd come home to that. And <laughs> it was just amazing, right? And so th- those types of things that you could do in that environment were were just tremendous. It's yeah. really demanding, um, but the idea is to bring these like authentic conduits to really make a, a real connection. And that's what I find is the difference between the you know, private club world or the, the real estate ownership world where you're seeing people over and over again. So, you know, the, the, the spit shine wears off after a little while of some of the little inventive things that you do, but you, you have to keep creating these real authentic and, and tried and true connections with them. Okay, so you, you've got you got owners, and these owners are you know very, very wealthy, you know, very successful. They have places all over the world or whatever that they go to but you guys are making these extremely personal connections you're building friendships mm-hmm. with these people too right I, I'm very curious about how the intersection of a corporate space you know you're mm-hmm. you're working there you're an employee mm-hmm. you guys are doing this because it's your job but you're building genuine friendships you know with people with owners and people and how does that intersect where, how, where does it get complicated you know what's the kind of the beautiful side of that too Right. I mean, you, you had to have made friends with some of these people that you're still in contact with, or how does that Absolutely. work? Absolutely. Yeah. Because genuine connection is genuine connection, no matter if you're getting paid to do it or not. Yeah. Right? When yeah. you create those kinds of environments, they're meaningful. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and in a place like that, right. even more so. Yeah. Right? In, in the heart of Tuscany, 45 minutes from Florence. Oh. You know, Florence is a different city. It, it, it's, it's, it's an amazing, brilliant city, but you may have people who come and go a little bit more. Yeah. When you're out in the countryside... Those people are there for life. Right. This is, they live down the street. Their family owns the farm that's yeah. adjacent to there. Or their family worked mm-hmm. this farm before it became a resort or before it became any sort of development. Like hundreds so of years. Their, yeah, their right. connection yeah. to the space is yeah. unreal. Right. And so uh, those connections are real. We, we have, we've had employees who are invited to weddings halfway around the world and flown over by the owners themselves. Right. Wow. Um, to come and be a part of it. They, yeah. they genuinely bring gifts. They travel together. Mm. Um, and I think that that's one of the things that we did very well in these locations is to make a connection that was well above and beyond the employee or the served and the serve mm. service provider, mm. right? It was more so of a welcome home. Yeah. Like that is my duty is to make your home, our home, as comfortable as possible and as connected as possible. So you truly had some incredibly genuine relationships that were built on trust. They were built on 
a common interest. They were built on a common connection. And for the time that that person's there, mm-hmm. it's magic. Yeah. Absolutely magic. Yeah. But you And then you'll get holiday cards from them, yeah. right? Personally. Yeah. And to you, and and that's how much you actually mean, or or that person means to that family. So the drawbacks of being there and just living, yeah, is difficult. Um, I, you know, I think I've told Poor language. And, I think I've told a thousand people who have called me about wanting to work in Hawaii. It's right. not all palm trees and cool breezes, man. No, this is a <laughs> tough place to live. Yeah. So when you get past the beautiful resort on the beach and you go to Safeway and you spend $22 for <laughs> eggs and milk and you go home and you're like, wow, that seriously? <laughs> or, or it took me nine months to license my car, right? right. These are just realities of being in different spaces. If you yeah. don't have the temperament for that, right. it, it, you're, you're going to, you're, you're going to burn yourself out. You're going to fight uphill. There's a dream of a place and the grass is always greener, right? It's only green where you water it. Yeah. You've got to pay attention to it. You have to realize there's a reality of cultivating the greenness that you want that place to be. When did you come to realize that? Because, I mean, did you, was there a point where you were chasing the, grass, the greener grass? Or did oh, you, yeah. No, I absolutely yeah. was chasing the greener yeah. grass. When did you come to that realization that, oh, the grass is not actually greener. You've got to cultivate that thing within yourself. It started in Telluride, but without a whole lot of realization. Right. And, and I would say that it was there... Because of one other challenge that, you know, we face in a lot of these distant resort destinations Uh is cultivating talent, right? Right. Having somebody who can actually provide the service, execute the vision and and pulling from a very small pool of people. And in Telluride, I had a tremendous general manager who really helped me to understand that when we were recruiting for a job, we would recruit nationally, right? Mm -hmm. You'd you'd put out for a director level job and and it would be, you know, just a director of rooms or some some significant professional job within the hospitality industry. You could pull from urban environments, you could pull from other resorts. And uh, this gentleman really taught me that unless they loved Telluride first, the job was never going to be good enough. Right. And so we really upended our recruiting process to look from within at that point. And what that started to foster in me was that all these people could, and I watched this happen, right? Somebody would come from the outside and you'd move to a place like Telluride or even Aspen where there's, there's even more things to do and more exposure. You would move there and if it wasn't exactly what you thought it was going to be, right? All the beauty and all the grandeur of being in these legendary locations. And then, you know, the whole rest of your life still has to be lived, right? Your kids still have to go to school. Your wife has to like it or your husband has to like it. You still have to go grocery shopping. You still have to fill your soul. If you didn't find your soul in that place first, you were never going to be successful as a professional. And those areas really spin people out. One year, two years, you get to your second season on something and people really question, you know, whether they should be there or not. And so that was the first time that I I think I started realizing the specialness of the place and the people connection is what made for lasting opportunity. Uh, I was still really young and dumb and and looking for the next thing, right? It was just... Hey, cool. I've been here for two years. Let's go somewhere else. Yeah. I mean, there's a point in my life that I lived in eight states in eight years. And, and that was fun. 
Right. <laughs> yeah. And Janine thought I was nuts. And then she yeah. started getting in the bandwagon and thought I was great after that. But the idea that we could constantly move and go and find something else. And then you get to a point of finding, whether it's maturity or in my case, probably lack thereof, <laughs> uh, finding that anchor sure. at some point yeah. was really important. When I moved to Italy, oh dear Sylvia, who's still there. And I love you, Sylvia. She's amazing. She, she ran the property. Sylvia sat me down and said, Mike, <laughs> you need to learn the language. <laughs> and I said, okay, I've got to start. I literally just completed two intensive quarters of Italian in college, yeah. like oh, wow. right before I moved here. Wow. And uh, so was, I had this in the back of my brain. I can't say I was any good at it. And, and she said, you have to learn the people. You have to start with the people mm. because there's nothing that you can bring. There's no amount of money that you can spend that is going to make this place any greater than the people mm. who are here mm. and the culture that's already here. So connect with them by learning the language. Sure. Connect with them by respecting them within that environment and then empower them to do what's great. Empower them to bring this to life. Because I guarantee you, somebody who's been here for 40 years and grew up in that house right over there, they're going to deliver the authentic Italian experience in a totally different way. Right. And, and you just your job is to curate that. Sure. And it was a really great awakening to, you know, the yeah, the, this is going to be an incredible environment. But I actually had to make it become an incredible environment for yeah. me to connect with the people, for me to be fulfilled professionally and for my family to feel connected in the yeah. space. And then that comes through and everything else. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it took a while. I mean, that was well into my career before I really realized that you had to water the grass. It wasn't just yeah. gonna be better. <laughs> for a little trip to Greece with just you and you and Janine and the kids. You didn't make it. We were heading to France. We didn't make it. So where, where to next? We had this trip planned uh, for... Said you ended up eating overcooked lamb at my house. <laughs> <laughs> for 2020. But it was fantastic company. Absolutely brilliant. Um, we, we moved that trip forward. So that, that trip, we had already put down a deposit uh, on a... On a catamaran, we were sailing. We're gonna go sail the Dalmatian coast. We're gonna start in Greece. Kids have both just gone through mm -hmm. uh, ancient Greek blocks yeah. in school, which is tremendous. Like yeah. if, if every time they do something in school, I could take them to that place and yeah. put them in that environment, yeah. I, I would absolutely love to. My parents did that for me in fifth grade when we did American history, and we went and oh, did the awesome. entire Washington D.C. and and you know the Jamestown and all of that, Williamsburg. So. We're going to go to Greece and go up and sail from Split to uh, down to Dubrovnik and then fly to Paris for a couple of days and, and then fly home. So that trip's been pushed off to the summer from, from last summer. So we're going to keep that plan and uh, we're, we've got fingers crossed on that and my, uh, do that with uh, my best friend's family. Um, he lives, they live in Denver and they're, they're going to meet us over there to, to do the sailing part of the trip. So that's really the, like the North star right now is, is making that trip come to fruition. Croatia has been really interesting during this whole pandemic and in, in that they've, they've kept their borders pretty open. They cater to a lot of tourism and maintain that, uh, which I think has been tremendous. 
they've also learned a lot. I think they've failed forward on their decisions. Sure. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, they're shutting back down a little bit right now, like like most people are. Uh, you know, UK shutting down today or you know yesterday, yeah. like complete lockdown. Yeah. I think most European countries are going to go through that for a little bit. But we're still looking forward to you know going into June. Hopefully, we'll be on that trip. Uh, speaking of home, we are trying to get back to Aspen for uh, a ski vacation. It'll mm-hmm. be the first trip back to Aspen in three and a half years, yeah. I guess. Thinking about the idea of what is the next trip and how sort of two polar opposite sides of our thought process have come out that one is the new adventure the bucket list the right. the, the thing that we've had on our radar to, to put out there that you get excited about right, right. That's, that's our big trip next year that, yeah, that's yeah, our yeah, yeah. It's, the kids are starting to learn about the places that we're going to go and, right. and, and things and, and, and then the other side of it is our whole family want to get back to Colorado we want right. to go surf or it's not surf we want to go ski yeah. we want to go connect with friends yeah, and ground yeah. back into something yeah. that is so comfortable and mm. so close. And I think the pandemic has brought out both of those yeah. in so many different ways. Yeah. And it's tough because you go, you only have some, you have so much time and you have so much money, you know, and you're, and you're going to spend money to travel and you're going to go in and I'm, I'm having the same experience in which I'm like, I really miss my family. You know, I want to go to the Northwest. I want to see, mm-hmm. see my brother and my family and my sisters and, and nieces and nephews and I want to give them all hugs and stuff like that and at the very same time I'm just man I want to get right <laughs> I want to go somewhere amazing oh man I got the bucket list thing is just calling my name I'm like I, I really want to go to Jordan I think I've mm, yeah. that before I just I want to go to I want to see Petra with my own eyes how much would you love to stand there <sighs> just Petra. stand there tremendous you know what I mean that's a tough one man that's a tough one yeah yeah I think it is. It's. I think it's interesting that the pandemic and its its impact on our planning and and where we're yeah. putting important things because I think it hits people in very different ways, right? Depending yeah. on where you live, it would be different if if you and I lived on the West Coast and we could drive to Seattle right. and go see our 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 family and our friends, you know, back home. Versus, no matter what we do from here, we've yeah. got to get on a plane. It's yeah. sort of an epic adventure, yeah. <laughs> no matter what, yeah. to leave Hawaii and go somewhere. So. You want to make sure that you're getting the most out of it. But we've definitely been called back to this home of Colorado and this mm. this home of skiing, this thought of mm. being back in the mountains. My kids want to throw snowballs so bad. That has almost overtaken this mm-hmm. big trip to Europe. And, yeah, and, my, and my kids know Europe really well, right? I mean, yeah. my oldest daughter traveled to Europe eight times. But before she was two, she was literally the best traveler you've ever seen. She would come in like little Miss Smarty Pants, right? Like dragging her little carry on. She would come into her aisle. She'd unzip her bag. She'd take out her blanket. She'd roll it out. She'd put a book up, a couple things to play with. And she'd just sit down and, and people would be like, first class, wherever she goes, doesn't matter. She's, she's in first class. She owned it. So it was amazing. But we haven't been back to Europe in, in a while. They, they haven't been back in several years. And so going on this trip where it was going to satisfy this educational side, this new adventure side, and Paris has been a destination we've wanted to get back to with them for a long time. And to have that almost be overshadowed by yeah. like wanting to go back and see their best friends from when they lived in Colorado. Right. I mean, they were four and six when they left, but you know they still keep in such great touch. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. That's an unusual kind of an unforeseen repercussion. I, I was going through old emails because I was trying to, I was looking for something today on email and I went back and I was reading emails from March 2020 and April 2020 and stuff and how 
you know, and all of them are like, well, we're going to be closed for like a month, you know, right. you know, the boat's going to, you know, but we'll open up, you know, when they get this figured, figured out and how none of us could foresee that we'd spend the next year just stopped, you know, I uh, ran into a Can friend. you imagine we're two months away from being a year? I know, it's right? bananas. That's amazing. It's bananas, me. man. I ran into a guy who's a friend of mine who's a very, very wealthy guy. Uh, he has homes all over the planet. And I ran into him the other day and we were walking and he said, I haven't left Maui since April. And I was looking at him and, like, and he owns a private jet. <laughs> and I was like, oh, man, like that's tough, you know? Like, you know what I mean? And it was weird to, to see, to we're all having, I think we're all probably having that same experience. Like if you got a private jet, like where's the first person place you're going? Mm-hmm. It's probably not, you know, Cabo. You're probably you're probably heading home to see mom. You know, you're yeah. heading, you're going somewhere to just just give a hug to someone that you you want to give a hug to. You, know? you go help cement your folk, your your compass. Yeah, right? I think yeah. I think a lot of people need that right now. I think so too. Even in this this prolonged period of uncertainty yeah. and this prolonged period of isolation, right. that we need to refill that void. And some of us will refill it by traveling and connecting with new cultures and food and amazing sights and and some of us will refill that simply by changing the scenery and some of us will refill it by having dinner at mom's table yeah man there's nothing better (laughs) yeah my mom's not a great cook and it's weird when I start looking forward to having dinner it's like you know that means something yeah I just want to sit down and just kind of I don't know that's interesting. That no, is. That's pretty funny. It's almost it's almost superfluous to talk about where we think the travel industry is going to head this year because because we can predict all day, but it is still somewhat unpredictable in the whole kind of process, right? I mean, do you I mean, you you you've got people on the inside, you know? I got people. You got people. I, I got a guy. You got a guy. <laughs> what are your people saying about kind of where travel's heading? I mean, are we going to... We were dealing, before the pandemic, we were talking about over-tourism in Maui and talking about mm-hmm. too many people and how do, we do, how do we cope with that? Where do you see it heading in 2021? And, and when? And when? I think that's the biggest thing. Right. I, I, think, I think we all see it heading in the right direction. I think we all see it bouncing back. And I'm not even tourism just in Hawaii, but, yeah. but around and... But it's amazing to think that in, in, in 2019, 1.4 billion people traveled internationally. Billion? Billion in 2019. That's right? more than... I mean, that, that like number... a large fraction of I don't know what planet. it is in 2020. Yeah. But it's a lot closer to zero than it is closer yeah. to 1.41 billion, yeah. right? And so that's going to come back. That it'll, it'll be there. It's just going to be a bit of a rocky road to how we get there. Um, you know, you look at tourism or typical hospitality, right? In, in the hospitality industry right now. And, and everybody's saying transient, you know, which is basically leisure vacations, right? It's going to bounce back fastest. And, and then business and international travel will be last. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're, we're kind of looking at business travel, you know, maybe starting to pick up Q3 of, of, of 2021, but really into the fourth quarter of 2021 into 2022. And I'm not talking about rebounding back to where it was by any means. I was just right. picking up in some semblance or, right. or measurement that you can actually attribute a trend to. The uh, international travel is going to be really interesting. We here on Maui have, have a tremendous contingent of people who come from Canada. And it's not that they don't want to come here. 
This is one of the safest places to be. But Canadians are hindered by coming here because of what they face when they go back home. Right. You know, it's right. they can come here on a three-day pre-travel negative COVID test and vacation and have a great time in, in Maui. But when they return to Canada, they they have to quarantine for fourteen days. Yeah. Uh, or and that's evolving obviously as things things keep going. But the domestic limitations in these uh, international locations are going to be really limiting for a while. Right. Uh, I also think that the desire of the average traveler to to still travel but to do it in small chunks uh, is going to outweigh the airplane airline travel for a while Um, you know and 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 airlines are going to have a hard time figuring out what is their cadence that they are right now right Right. because things are changing and cases spike and they change they they change airlift and and locations and and rules change in hawaii so they have to bob and weave at that right? right all of these things will contribute to we're in this amazing time of starting to distribute a vaccine Mm -hmm. that can potentially put an end to the craziest thing we've all been through in our lives. (laughs) Right. And, and we went through nine 11, we went through the credit crisis. We went through dot com bubble in 2000. We've, we've had this every decade kind of thing going on and this one takes a cake, right? Roll them all into one. And we, we, so we have this vision, we have this exit strategy, if you will, that, is in front of us but we're at a point today you know january 4th or whatever it is today that we still have rules in place that prohibit free travel Mm -hmm. we have the vision of what it's going to be because the vaccine's coming but am i going to travel before i can get the vaccine no it's line of sight right now for me and my parents just canceled coming here Because the line of sight for them to get the vaccine is so close, they're going to wait three months or two months or however long it's going to take them to get it. And I think that there's so much good that's happening for the travel industry from a positive invention of and reinvention of rules for travel and ways to make it safe and Mm -hmm. conduits to build these bridges to travel again. But there's a real hesitation because hopefully the fix is on its way, right? Right. So I think a lot of people are kind of handcuffed right now. So I see the first first month of the year or first six months of the year as, as being pretty slow from a travel perspective. I think we need to get into the, the mean adult population from a vaccine perspective to start seeing meaningful travel. Right. There will be, hopefully because of baby boomers receiving the vaccine first, you'll, you, you'll start seeing some of that travel. But for the most part, I think you'll see a lot of that being familial travel. I think you'll, you'll see a lot of it being closer to home. It's not yeah, going to sure, be, sure. it's not going to be self-engaged travel. I think it's going to be about their families yeah, and, yeah. and their, their close knit communities. And then, and in the latter half of the year, you know, going through the summer, we should start seeing the pickup, uh, yeah. back to, you know, nowhere near back to normal, but compared to where we're at right now, right. a massive gain right Right. massive gain and then we're going to be on i would say a a, a three to five probably closer to five year real slow trajectory back to growth you know we're not going to return to 2019 numbers in 2022 right we're going to double triple quadruple where we're at right now by the end of this year and then we're at that last maybe third of that mm-hmm. business is going to, I think is going to take a while yeah. just to adopt its, yeah. its systems, its countries opening back up. Right. It's, it, it's just a lot of thing that's in there. So we're kind of in the messy middle right now. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah. I, you know, I keep telling people don't get frustrated with this period right, right now. This, this period is very purposeful 
and yeah. but it is messy allow that to happen sure. it's okay we can't have too many expectations it's yeah. just hard to travel right now it's yeah. a pain and so we need to make it as easy as possible for people who do want to travel we need to take away the guessing game from them as much as possible we need to be as gracious and lean into just radical customer service as much as possible to to have people enjoy their their time but don't have a whole lot of expecting expectations for the broader market but it'll come i feel good about the future and we hear it on the phone every day yeah i see it in emails i hear it in conversations that i have with people they're so excited to travel again they're so excited to get back to what they love yeah and that's that feeds your soul right because you hear these people light up about something that they want to go do absolutely tremendous and 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 that is for us the gift of the pandemic right for many others it's not but when when the when when those tourists do come back yeah god i want them to have a good time yeah i I feel the same way i want them to just the same way soak it i want to just be like you know how amazing this place is i want to show you every (laughs) right i want to make those connections for them like we were talking about Mm -hmm. yep so important so Mm -hmm. important well, listen, uh, that's such a great place to kind of cabin. I, we, we do this thing you probably know about. We, at the end, I ask the guests to kind of, if you, you could leave a blessing for the audience. And it's whatever, whatever just you would want to, from your perspective and your heart, you know, just take it away. You know that something I've been sharing with my team and coaching with my team as we have experienced our own growth of cases in Hawaii and our own dealing with the ups and downs of the economic impacts that have come along with this is I philosophically am very grounded in in the Stoic philosophy and looking towards uh, Epictetus and uh, one of my favorite uh, quotes from him is, we cannot choose our external circumstances, but we can always choose how we respond to them. That's how I view the pandemic right now and what we're going through. Don't let the outside world and the things you can't control drive you nuts. Voyager's podcast is produced by Sugar Sled Productions and recorded in Kula on the island of Maui. It's hosted by me, David Glenn Taylor. I want to thank my friend Mike for taking time away from his family at dinner time, no less, to sit down with me and talk about travel. I walked away from this conversation encouraged and feeling incredibly grateful for the blessing of friends and this beautiful island home, and hopeful that we'll get to show it off to all of you someday soon. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Helps me grow the audience. You're in season two. Keep the conversations going. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor like Maui Dream Properties or in supporting this podcast, you can go to voyagerspodcast.com and click the link to become a Patreon supporter. And to become a sponsor, let's start a conversation by email. David at voyagerspodcast.com. Next week, season two rolls on. We go from traveling in style to traveling in possibly the most harsh and challenging way possible. 
We're talking with Dallas Seavey, four-time winner of the world's last great race, Alaska's 1,000-mile Iditarod. What does it take to run a team of sled dogs through brutal winter conditions and make it to Nome in one piece? That's next week on the Voyagers Podcast. Mahalo for listening, friends. Taking your time away from your family, I really appreciate it, man. Oh, they're tired of me. They're glad I'm <laughs> right. <laughs> right.